1: You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. Alright, welcome in BuzzBeat listeners to episode 58 of BuzzBeat. This is our second episode of the week, so if you haven't, make sure you listen to the previous episode, which re-released on Monday. Uh, In episode 57, we discussed the games against the Pelicans, the Hawks, and the Knicks, but spent most of the time discussing Frank Kaminsky, Malik Monk, and how effective our player development system has been, and if we need to start holding that part of the franchise a little bit more accountable. On this episode, we're going to be discussing college prospects, most of which uh, are going to be playing either today or tomorrow in their Sweet 16 games. This conversation definitely excites Spencer and Brian more than it does me, uh, but it's still going to be a good conversation. And I even get to present probably my most intriguing prospect so far uh, that could fall into the Hornets' range if he does decide to come out. Uh, and he is intriguing me a little bit more and more by the day. As always, we like to shout out the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, where you can find team-specific pods like ours, as well as shows related to the NBA Draft, which we're going to be discussing today. Uh, but there's also some very good ones on the website, and, you know, they got podcasts there with Fantasy uh, and much more. Also, please give our friends Sports Channel 8 a follow on Twitter and visit their website, SportsChannel8.com, for all your North Carolina sports needs. Let's go ahead and get right into it. Brian, Spencer, this is definitely your favorite time of the year. So let's start talking some draft prospects. It's draft season. I mean,
2: we're here. Like we're we, Time to stop talking about it. The NCAA tournament is upon us. I'm watching Michigan State and Syracuse play as we speak, as you guys probably are. And, uh, yeah, it's time to start talking some prospects. So let's start in the natural place. Uh, Miles Bridges uh, playing right in front of me (laughs) right now. I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out there, and and we'll we'll roll. We're going to talk about as many of these guys as we can without going too long here. But Miles Bridges, I would say he's been linked to the Hornets probably, well, just in that 8 to 12-ish range. Mm Mm-hmm. For a long time, like months now, and he's pretty much sat there and, you know, unless Michigan State runs the table and he, you know, scores 25 points a game, it's probably where he's going to end up. Brian, let's start with you. Miles Bridges, what do you like about him? What do you not like about him?
3: Do you think that he's a good fit for the Hornets? What is he as a prospect? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We sort of had these conversations on him a year ago, too, right? When we thought maybe he was going to come out. This is before he decided he was going to come back to Michigan State and he's sort of—it's almost the tip of the cap to him to to come back and at least not sort of regress as a prospect. Does that make any sense? I mean, he's basically being pegged around the same draft spots. It's time is a flat circle for both the Hornets and Miles Bridges. Apparently, um, I haven't seen a ton of improvement from him this year. He sort of largely feels like a like a pretty similar player, and um, you know, three point shooting is about the same. Um, he's been a, maybe a little bit more efficient, cut down on the turnover some this season, gets to the line about the same. Uh, again, he's and he shot better from the free throw line too, so a lot better. He's up at about 87% from the line this season. So there were certainly plenty of concerns regarding his shot from the perimeter last season. And Even though his three-point numbers have stayed pretty flat, you think maybe the the jump in free throw percentage maybe bodes well for him coming to the pros. He's an incredible athlete and certainly one of the best dunkers in all of college basketball the last two seasons. He shot 66% on non-post-up attempts at the hoop this season, which is where about, uh, about 25%, about a quarter of his half-court possessions come around the basket on non-post-up attempts, and he's shot very well from that. And his catch-and-shoot numbers are pretty good too. Um, 51 of 126 on catch-and-shoots this season with with an effective rating of 59.1%. I think there's there's plenty to like with Bridges as sort of a a combo forward type guy. I I don't think he projects as a future star, but perhaps a a role player that can play a couple positions and guard a couple positions and if he figures out a three pointer in the NBA, could maybe be a guy that that sticks and is a part of a franchise for a while. But like a lot of guys in um in this range of the draft, there's there's holes too. So I don't know. What do you what do you guys what are your all thoughts on on Bridges? I
1: liked Bridges last year as a yeah, prospect same here. and until he took his name out of the draft, he was probably up there in my top three you know, players that I would like uh, for the Hornets to kind of target. Um, but when he took his name out, um, obviously I kind of fell in love with Donovan Mitchell, but yeah, I haven't seen too much of, of Bridges play. Um, you know, I think that uh, he kind of reminds me of, I don't know if this is a good comparison mm-hmm. or not, but like a Julius Randle that is more athletic and can shoot the ball and also I, I I do really like his passing a, a, as a player that can handle the ball, a, a big six, seven guy um, mm. that can pass the ball as well. So, you know, you think of this guy that's very athletic and, and he can dunk the ball, get up off the floor, but uh, I think he's a very good, you know, passer, smart, heady player as well.
2: That's a really interesting comparison, Richie. I, I kind of like that. Julius Randle, and you're right, he can pass it. Um, not something I've watched really closely with him, but you literally mentioned it and I looked it up. I mean – assist rate of seven, 17.3%. It's not bad for, for yeah. a guy, his, his build and size and position, um, you know, shot 37.2% this season from behind the arc. I mean, you watch his stroke, it's, it's hitchy, you know, he rotates his body on the way up. It's, it's not something that looks to the eye like it would translate to the next level. But, you know, I, I didn't think OG and was going to be able to do that either. And, you know, and he's in, you know, he's in the slump right now, but he really started the season at, at a promising rate. Bridges is so, so um, gifted physically and athletically. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy is just a dump truck um, with really fast wheels. Uh, and he's, he's impressive. I, I think he has a chance to be a defensive stopper on the next level um, across three positions, maybe four. Uh, you know, I, I think he's a guy who can be switched onto a point guard and, and at least hold his own. Uh, I I mean, there's a lot to like, but with guy with players and prospects like bridges miles, that is um, I always look at, do I think that he can translate on the offensive end of the floor? Because there's just outside of his just physical ability and athletic ability. There's not a lot you can take note of to be like, Oh, he does this really well. I mean, everything he gets is just because he overpowers and, mm-hmm. and it's just quicker and stronger, and, and all these other things than the opposition, and that's how he gets points. Like, you know, I, I'm not sure if three point line, a uh, three point shot translates, but you know, free throw shooting, you look at that. I always look at that with these kind of guys, and he 80 87 from the free Pretty throw good.
1: line, fourth Pretty in
2: good. the Big Ten. You know, and that's a number you always look at to see, eh, you know, that helps you figure out if it's going to translate or not with the shot at the next level. So. Yeah, I don't think he's going to climb into the top five just because of all the question marks we've mentioned, but I do think he's a safe pick in terms of a guy you can bring in, you know, have him for four years under a rookie scale contract, and his body's ready for the NBA on day one. So you feel like you yeah. can get him in there and get him some minutes and and see what happens. A guy like Miles, I think it's all going to d- depend on the system. Like, I, I don't think he would be super successful in Charlotte. Um, you know, I do feel like if he slid into the mid to later first round, which is probably where he belongs to me. Um, he could be really successful um, mm-hmm. in a system that has a little bit of juice. So, but he's a fascinating prospect, no doubt.
3: Yeah. He shot 90% from the line in big 10 play, which is pretty impressive. They've used him more coming off screens this season. And I think he actually like, I think his footwork and curling off, off down screens has gotten decent this se- this year. Um, He's run more pick-and-rolls himself this year, too, and shot more out of the pick-and-roll this year, which is some of these, I mean, look, I don't think he's going to have an NBA role as a pick-and-roll creator or secondary action type guy. He seems more like a um, 3 and D guy, a guy that gets out in transition and, and makes, I'm assuming he can figure out the, the college, or the NBA three-point line. Um, but yeah, I think he is one of those guys if he went later in the first round, like he could help. You could almost see this guy being a part of like the jazz now or something like that. Just a, a, a guy that can defend a few positions, spot up, um, and run the offense. I mean, his his passing game. That those assist numbers don't those don't come off him dribbling eight times and you know no right. look passing. It's one dribble, read two dribbles, read, or it's just catch and swing. All of which, I mean, that's that's not even a knock. Like that, you need ball yeah, movers like that too. General like,
2: feel for the game. Yeah, totally. he's a pretty good feel for
3: the game. Yeah. Um, and I'll say this too, like. Uh, it was ESPN's Dan Dockett. He had a comment mid-season saying Miles Bridges has no game. That was what he said. I think, we think that was something he tweeted out. And, look, we shouldn't probably put too much weight in the opinion of Dan Dockett because Miles Bridges has game. He's not just—he's not just an athlete. Um, I think there's some some tools he has too, and you could see him being a guy that sticks in the league for a while. But yeah, like you said, Spencer, it'd be, he might be a weird fit in Charlotte because. I don't even know where you know, where they'd use them, how they use them, probably similar into a role to Trevi and Graham, but I think I don't think he would be a I think if you picked at ten or eleven, he's not an awful pick, even though he's probably better towards the back end of the lottery or or later in the first round.
2: Agreed. Um by the way, Miles Bridges, we're talking about a six, seven you know, 200 and I don't have his weight right in front of me, but I would say 225, 230 pound. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, I mean, I mean, this is, this is a horse you're talking yep. about. him. Mean, he's a really, really a good athlete. Um, all right, well, let's go to the other bridges and let anybody else have anything else on miles. Mm-mm. Good. Okay. Um, let's go to Mike Hill, who <laughs> I was texting Brian about, or maybe both of you actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, well, I was on this podcast I don't know, two months ago or whatever, whenever it was, we were talking about a few prospects, and I was just like, Michael, like, no offensive game, like, just don't know where it comes from. Just seems very un- underdeveloped in that in that area." Holy moly, this kid yesterday against Alabama goes has literally has an out of body experience, like hits. Also, don't have it in front of me, but I want to say seven, eight threes. You know, six of them I think were in the second half. I mean. Every, every time he caught it, we're not talking about a guy who, like, caught it, surveyed, took a dribble. Like, he caught it. I don't care who was standing in front of him, how close the defense was. He was letting it go. And it was an unbelievable performance yesterday against Alabama. Um, and then I went and looked up his numbers for the year. Like, holy crap. Here's mm-hmm. a guy who's shooting 62.7% effective field goal this season. Almost 45% from behind the arc. Um... He's a great free throw shooter. He's got a, a PER of 27.5. Like, offensively, for a guy that I thought just out of the eye test earlier in the season, like, ah, I just don't know. It feels like a project. I think it might actually be the opposite. I think I was super ignorant on this guy. And mm-hmm. after watching him here recently, I'm a huge believer in Bridges. 6'7", uh, skinny, not quite – he's right around 200 pounds. He might not be 200 pounds. But mm-hmm. you feel like you get him into an NBA system – you know, put some weight on him. You can fix that problem, but man, and a great, great defender. I love Michael bridges. Um, all of a sudden I feel
3: like I'm really fickle with this kid, but I think he'd be a good fit in Charlotte and and make a guy like MKG a little bit expendable. He, he, he kind of looks and feels like Chris Middleton a little bit just in terms Mm -hmm. of like the way he, the way he plays off. I mean, he shoots a little more threes than the Middleton does or whatever, but you gotta like a guy that's. This is year three for him in an offensive system that kind of looks like an NBA offense. It's just so much read and react and replace and fill and down screens and into handoffs. And he had one of the one of those three point rips he had yesterday was like. I mean Alabama they look like they got like the t- the entire roster just made out of Randy Moss and Terrell Owens. Like all the guys yeah. are just long and athletic. And he took one handoff and it was like no hesitation. He just grabbed it and just. Rose from, I mean, he was, it was deep and just splashed the three from above the break. Um, Didn't look so good in the first. I was watching that game yesterday to be like, okay, this is a guy that's probably going to be the Hornets range. Let's see what he looks like. Really not a great first half. I think he only scored one point. He got blocked on a post-up attempt and Villanova does post him up a little bit too, which is sort of where I see some of the Middleton comparisons, but incredible in the second half. They went to him on the first possession of the second half, pick and roll got into the paint, hit a tough shot, and you love that. Like That was just Alabama hung tough with with Noah for the first 20 minutes of this game, and the Wildcats just obliterated them in the second half, and it was behind Bridges just going bonkers, and it started on the first possession uh, of the half. He's an amazing spot-up player, uh, one of the best in the country. Looking at synergy numbers, 31% of his possessions this season were spot-ups scored 1.4 points per possession on spot-ups, which is number eight in Division one, uh, minimum of 100 possessions, 50% shooting on spot-ups, 71% effective shooting on spot-ups. And on catch-and-shoots this season, 47% shooting, 70% effective shooting on catch-and-shoots, 1.42 points per possession, which, again, is also one of the best numbers in the entire country. I mean, top probably 20, 25 in the nation. Um no dead zones on the court, shoots 67% at the hoop, 28% of his field goal attempts come on non-post-up possessions at the rim, um, and he makes two-thirds of those looks. So, yeah, lots lot to like with, with, with Bridges. Um, and, you know, look, Nova has a pretty good track record of putting guys into the pros and having them turn into pretty good players, too.
1: Yeah, in that first half, it was DiVincenzo that was taking over, and uh, I actually didn't watch the second half, but uh, it sounds like michael bridges (laughs) just took over but when you look at this guy as a prospect up and down you know everything in his profile there's not many holes in his game you know a two-way player that can shoot the ball from deep um Mm -hmm. he's got he's got a crazy wingspan he just does all the right things the only thing that i worry about and i'm not sure if you guys worry about this as well is his age you know he's 21 and a half years old he'll be 22 years old you know i don't know if that really plays a factor when drafting players Mm -hmm. but would it would it in your mind you know drafting a player that's almost 22, will be 22 while you start the, uh, the NBA season?
2: I think it's a great point, Richie. I, I, yeah, I literally just looked it up. I knew he was older. I'm not, I didn't know that by the time the next NBA season tips off, he'll be 22 years old, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, whatever. I think that stuff's overplayed a little bit. Uh, I think it is a factor, but I, I do think it's overplayed a little bit. Um, I would say the one, it wouldn't play against, in my book, it wouldn't play against drafting him high, uh, in the top ten, I think the biggest hole in in Bridges' game, which I like the Middleton comparison to, Brian. I think that Bridges putting the ball on the floor is, uh, I just I just don't know, right? Yeah. Like, and in the NBA, it's easier, right? Like, it's all space. Yeah. All that guy's really going to be asked to do is like attack a closeout and finish. Mm-hmm, and I totally. think he could yep. probably do that. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you expect him at six seven, you know, to to be somewhat of a like, six, seven on the next level is not that big. You know? No, yeah. He, he looks big out there in college. Even to get to Alabama team that gets off the bus and you're like, wait a minute, are we playing an NBA team today? Like they, They're but Wild. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Um, not a lot of skill, but they're big. Yeah. But yeah, with Bridges, I think that's really the biggest thing is, will he be able to develop any kind of wiggle with the ball uh, in his hands, putting it on the floor on the bounce? And not only that, but that's really the next – you know, that's the next universe of development for him is that if that guy becomes any kind of ball handler, you're talking about an all star. Um, yep. so, so the other thing I would say about him is he shoots it. And it doesn't matter because he can obviously shoot it like it's just one of those strokes you watch and you're like, ooh, that doesn't look that good. But then mm-hmm. it always goes in. He kind of pulls it across. His face a little bit, um, you know that left elbow stays straight up in the air, and he gets it square. But his right elbow, he's right-handed, almost is like it's at funny. a forty-five almost degree like angle. Wallace when he shoots right there, it.
1: where you have your arm across.
2: Exactly, you know, and he kind of flips his wrist, and but he has a high release. Like it works, but mm-hmm. just one. I just there's a little bit of concern with me with strokes like that. Like, w- will that translate to two and a half feet? farther back or whatever the NBA yeah. line is. I, I think it probably will. I mean, the guy's proved it from everywhere, but it's something to keep an eye on.
3: Yeah, no, and Richie, again, great point, bringing up the, the you know, because again, his his birthday is August 30th, so yeah, he'll, he'll be 22 for a few months by the time the 2018-2019 NBA season tips off. It's, it's sort of, I've thought about this for a couple of years now. Um, do we sort of overvalue the making sure guys you know you get a guy when he's 19 to 20 because that's the only way that you can develop him properly because we still talk about and I know these aren't these are sort of separate separate curves in terms of skill and stuff like that but we still talk about guys when they're 27 adding pieces adding tools or hey you look at the jump kemba made from when he was 24 to 27 he turned into an he turned into he probably bottom third of the NBA point guard into a perennial All Star, literally. So I think if you get a guy at 22, <laughs> you, you got to remember that he can still get a lot better. And, and maybe Kemba's a special case, but you know, uh, even even the guy like for the Wizards, Otto Porter, he found another gear when he turned probably 23, 24, 25, and now he's become sort of like an All Star level talent in Washington too. And I think he's sort of a maybe an nba comparison for michael bridges too. So I, I can see why teams do put value on that. I wonder sometimes if they put almost too much value on it because the way you think of it this way like let's say you draft bridges, he turns up into he turns into a franchise player hypothetically you're still signing him to his second contract when he's 26. You know he's still, like, yeah. he, he, you'll still have him. You'll be signing him to his second contract when he's entering his prime or he's, is in the midst of it. Whatever you want to define those that that window of time. So I, I just say I just think you take the best guy available and you don't worry too much. If obviously it's great if they're they're 20 21, but. I don't think it's one of those things that if if everything else is pointing to you saying draft this guy, I don't think you let it be a hindrance to you.
2: Yeah, no, I I agree, Brian. And I think that, you know, part of the argument there is that, you know, if you're drafting, them super young and that plays into this whole NCAA thing. Are they going to go back to the, if you want to come out of high school and you think you're worth it, then come on. Like that means that guys are coming off the rookie contracts at 23 and 24 years old. Like that puts so much stress (laughs) It put so much financial stress uh-huh. on teams that are trying to retain these players that have zero chance of that guy reaching the designated player extension. you know, exception. Like mm-hmm. he's not going to do that 23 or 24 years old. Probably not unless you're the Greek freak or something like that. But right. You know, when you have guys coming out that are 22 years old, 23 years old, you know, they get to 27, 28. Like now there's a lot more certainty in that decision-making process on that next contract. Right. So mm-hmm. like there's this, you know, that's a whole whole different conversation for a different day. But it's a great point because that's a huge age gap, yeah. um, it, you know, and it's that's a CBA conversation. Luckily, we don't have to dive yeah. too deep, into. But uh, but anyways, yeah, it, with Michael, I think he's good. I think you're right. I think he's good enough. We just don't worry about
3: it. Yeah. And it's one of those things, too. You look at to the point you were just making. I mean, do you think the Timberwolves have any buyer's remorse with with Inc. and Andrew Wiggins to this extension last summer? I mean, they probably had to do it, but man, he's signed to a just huge number. Archangel. And it's because it's because you drafted him when he was nineteen and you extended him when he was twenty-two. And and, and, and you take that risk, right?
2: Like yeah, got to. to your point, like you have to take the risk, but that's not and that's not the team's fault, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the league's fault. You know, the league has to be held accountable there to, to really look after its teams. And anyways, yeah, but it's important. but And this is an important conversation that we'll talk about more in the future because the league is going to move back towards guys coming into the league at a younger age once again because of all this garbage we've seen in college sports and all these middlemen making money um, you know off these kids at, at, when they're in high school. So you cut the middleman out that's great you fix that problem but you inherit the problem where you're bringing in these really young kids and you're just signing them to rookie contracts and mm-hmm. then 23 years old here they come and they're ready for this this big raise and the teams are like should we do this but we can't afford mm-hmm. not to do this
3: yeah um so it's just especially anyway. a franchise like minnesota too where you think crap if wiggins we have to resign this guy I mean, we have to we we he's we took him we Essentially, took him number one overall. I mean, we traded for him after he was picked first. We can't get free agents to come here. We're desperate to win. It, we we got to bring this guy back. And you think a team like that should have leverage going into a, an extension? But man, Wiggins had probably Wiggins and his camp clearly had a lot going for them too. And I mean, who knows? Look, he maybe Andrew Wiggins turns into a perennial All Star player. Um, I think he's got a lot of stuff to work on, but he certainly has flashes where he looks. He looks dominant, but it is something to keep an eye on. I did like sort of some of the stuff the NBA um, proposed in terms of hey, if we do get rid of the one and done rule, we're gonna we're gonna have camps. We're gonna talk to these guys when they're in high school. We're gonna set them up with agents. Like the it, 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 look you, again, you like especially like you said you do inherit some other problems, of course, like any cause and effect relationship. But the NBA, it, it does seem like they're taking some smart, progressive steps. I mean, they're just discussing these plans right now. Nothing's finite. But I do like some of the ideas the league has right now. What's good, y'all? This is your boy Justin, a.k.a. Just Blaze, host of Above the Rim. And if you want a
1: raw take on the NBA, Above the Rim is a show for you. With dope beats and entertaining guests each week, we offer a great new insight on all things NBA. You don't want to miss it. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and the Almighty Baller Network. Um,
2: let's try to keep rolling here. I think yeah. yeah. Got, um, I mean, that was great stuff. I, I yeah. want to keep talking about it, but we just don't have time. I think we have about 20 minutes and I want to get to as many more prospects as we possibly can. I want to throw our name. A
1: you. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Richie go. So I have not found my, my Donovan Mitchell yet, but, uh, this guy I'm becoming yeah. intrigued, intrigued, uh, by this guy a little bit more every day and he's a young player, 18 years old. Mm-hmm. Probably one of uh, the youngest freshmen out there, Cyrus Smith out of Texas Tech. Very athletic player, up with the best of them in terms of you know how ath- athletic he is. We all saw that that oop dunk that he had in the first round of the NCAA tournament. But his style of play doesn't necessarily always kind of display his you know full athleticism. He's very much a team-oriented player. He's not someone that you see that just guns you know runs full head of steam downhill dunks on people that's not really what you're seeing out of this guy Um, although I'm sure uh, he he probably could do that you know Texas Tech's offense is not the most exciting but he does all the little things you know he's a screen setter hard cutter like Brian uses this term a lot he's a connector he may be um, you know I think potentially have the the chance to be a future floor spacer on the next level he shoots 44 percent from behind the arc you know, you know that that rates. I mean, that that efficiency is awesome, but the rate in which he shoots three pointers—only uh, about one a game. Although, he did make two of three against my Gators and almost posted a triple double. So, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, he lives inside the three-point line. He takes sixty-three percent of his shots at the rim. This puts him in the eighty-fifth percentile for a guard. Okay, so he only takes fourteen percent from behind the arc. But he does shoot that high average, that mid forty average. So when you see this guy play, he does all the little things. And where you do see his athleticism come into play is on these putback dunks. He's a very good offensive rebounder. He gets a handful of putback dunks, and he's averaging two offensive rebounds per game. So, like I said, it's not like one of these guys that you see running up and down the court, you know, fast break dunking. But his athleticism does come into play. Although, on obviously on the opposite end. He's a very versatile defender, lanky. I'm sure he could afford to kind of bulk up a little bit. He's a little bit frail at 195, but one thing you don't ever have to question with Zaire Smith, he's a competitor. He gets after it. Effort is definitely not an issue, and I'm sure that's probably instilled in him at Texas Tech, uh, who are an amazing defensive team. Didn't realize how good they were, but uh, you know he he is. Mm-hmm. He's also a good shot blocker on the defensive end too. So like whether he get he gets beat, he can always recover, uses athleticism, and uh, his length to block those shots. Or if, you know, one of his you know one of his teammates gets beat, he can help out weak side. So again, another area in which his athleticism shows. Uh, I would like to see, you know, obviously it's not going to happen this year because there's only a few games left. But I would like to see him increase his three point rate uh, in terms of the number of attempts that he takes. But he does shoot. He does show promise behind behind the arc, shooting forty four percent. So, uh, what are your thoughts on Zaire?
3: Yeah, I just think he's he plays like someone that's older than eighteen, right? I mean, he heads up basketball was is sort of the thing I always think of when I watch him play. Cuts hard with a purpose, not always to score. Um, he had seven assists against Florida, and a lot of that came off him connect like. He comes off a screen in that Texas Tech Bobby Knight motion offense, catches it, he curls, and he's looking at the rim to see, hey, which of my guys are open for a slip and a dunk here? Um, A low mistake player, low turnover player, super efficient on offense. Like you said, he doesn't take a ton of threes, but he shoots a good clip from out there. Draws a ton of fouls. A free throw rate of 52% in Big 12 play. That was top three in the conference. Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of him. I mean, he's a guy late lottery, mid-first round. If he does decide to come out, I, I think there's a lot of like to like with Zaire Smith, plus he plays heavy minutes for one of the probably three, four best defenses in the nation, too, and I think that matters as well.
2: Yeah, it doesn't seem like <clears throat> there's a whole lot of uh, optimism about him coming out this year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I but... Richie, I mean, you're you're exactly right. I mean, I admittedly have not seen uh, very much of Zaire Smith this year. I uh, saw a little bit of him last night. Great game against Florida. I'm sorry about your Gators, by the way, Richie. For those that don't know, Richie's a he's a Florida guy. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think he's a guy like this time next year. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a lottery draft pick, no mm-hmm. doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, at the same time, Texas Tech goes to the Final Four. You see this every single year. Um, you know, a late, a late bloomer, you know, comes out of nowhere and everybody scouts are all of a sudden saying, Oh, here's a guy who should be a top 10 pick. And from an athletic perspective, there's no doubt that that's where he belongs. Um, and then just his age, I mean, how young he is, he might not be done growing (laughs) six, five, you know, this guy might still be growing. So, um, that, you know, that's another factor, but, uh, but he's an intriguing, intriguing prospect, Texas tech, not the. Most exciting team to watch play offensively. Um, not a lot of offensive talent, but man, can they guard? Um, mm-hmm. And that could that could get them to San Antonio. I do believe that.
1: Yeah, like I said, um, man, I was so surprised how good they are defensively. But you know, they played yeah. they placed Zaire Smith on Chioza. and Florida at times struggled to get into their offense. And it seemed like a lot was played outside the three point line because he did such a good job you know, at the point of attack on Chioza. So you can put Zaire Smith on that point guard.
2: It's a great yeah. point, And it was such a good move uh, by remind me, Brian. Chris Beard, Beard right? Chris Beard.
1: Yeah. It was such
2: a good move by Chris Beard because you know Zaire can pick up 70 feet on even just yeah. G- you know, Geos are I'm gonna say that last name wrong, but that <laughs> he's one of the best point guards. Seriously. That guy's one of the best point guards. Veteran, battle tested, yeah, yeah handle you know just sets the table for everybody it's hard to press him because he's such a good ball handler like you name it he can pretty much set it up for your team and you could put smith on him 70 feet and they they didn't do that a lot
3: but he picked up at half court a lot rich i think it's a good point and it did make life really really hard for florida that that's that's just a different kind of monster for chioza too you know i mean it's not every day you get there's a few, they, someone throws a future NBA defensive wing on you and say, and you got to go against that guy eighty feet from the hoop. I mean, that's that's asking a lot out of a guy named Ch- uh, Chioza, who's probably who's you know sub six feet tall, whatever. It's just it's, – it's, it's, it's asking him to guard a different species of human being or go against a different species of human being and trying to get Florida in and out of their sets and stuff. That was actually, I thought, one of the best games of the tournament so far, uh, Texas Tech and Florida, really fun. Fun game. Um, yeah, if we wanted to get into just one more guy, an, another another guy that's alive and well in, in the tournament right now, hasn't played so well uh, in, the, in the first two games, uh, but a guy that you're probably going to hear a lot. He's, um, he's I'm sure, a lot to come out after this season, but Kentucky forward Kevin Knox, who, who I think he's a guy that's going to be, I think, I think he's pretty polarizing, to be honest with you. Um, an explosive scorer. 10 games this season of 20 plus points, six foot nine long, um, not a super strong player. Most, almost all of his dunks come in transition, um, which is where some of his best offense comes from too. You see him in like he, you know, obviously he's much taller than Malik monk, but you see Kentucky running a lot of the same sets. A lot of those, you know, the occasional baseline stagger down screens curls for him to get into the middle of the lane. Um, Three-point shooting this season shot a shot a good number four and a half attempts per game eight for 100 possessions only 34% from deep off the catch not great uh, 49% effective shooting on catch and shoots this season right under one point per possession um, but he he moves pretty well without the ball I think he's pretty intuitive for a, for a teenager that's probably sort of still growing into his body a little bit decent shooting motion high release. He does have a re- reset where he brings it down and then lifts, but it, it's relatively – I wouldn't call it quick. You know, He's not Klay Thompson, but um, he can get it off in a pinch, and um, I think he's a guy that can be a, a closeout beater if you need him. But um, I don't know. I'm curious to see what you guys think of Kevin Knox too.
2: Um, I'm glad you brought him up, Brian. Uh, I think Knox – so I watched that Davidson game the other night, and I came away with one thought, and that is I worry about how much that guy will be able to free himself Mm -hmm. On the next level six nine But he's not a great athlete, you know You you look at the wings in this draft and he's clearly one of the longer ones probably the longest one, but athletically, he's definitely a step down to me Um, and I, I wonder if that starts to play More of a factor on the NBA level for him, you know if he needs a screen on literally everything he does, and he doesn't have a ton of wiggle with the basketball, you know that's where i start to be concerned. You know, where for comparison's sake, a guy like Michael Bridges, um, not great with the basketball in his hands and putting it on the floor, but athletically, he's going to go by you. He, his first step's just going to like take him by you. Mm-hmm. Um, I wor- that's my concern with Knox, but dead eye shooter can knock it down. Uh, really say he's saved Kentucky the entire season. He's the mm-hmm. only guy they have who can sit, consistently shoot the ball uh from outside. Gilgis Alexander also really really talented yeah. but not the he's same really shooter. Back. Yeah, not the same shooter as Knox.
1: Um love him, worry about his athleticism. Yeah, you would think I would have seen more of this guy being a Florida guy, SEC guy, but uh haven't really seen too much on this guy, but the times that I have he just doesn't wow me. Uh, he doesn't seem like he's this, you know, amazing athlete. Doesn't seem like he does too many things like great. Uh a lot of little things well, but I, I feel yeah. like nothing jumps off the page with me with this guy.
3: Yeah. Um I mean he's he's clearly a he is a good player in transition. He looks to get out and run on the wing. Um yeah, he's he, he has the ability he, again, like you said, he's not a not an explosive athlete, but he's long. I think he does a pretty good job of um Keeping the ball high and just like being able to extend it and keep it away from defenders and shot blockers, um, he's got a nice little left to right euro step that you'll see him hit sometimes. That's almost exclusively in transition because he really doesn't have a lot of half court any sort of half court possession where he's going to dribble around a lot is usually going to result with him taking some contested pull up or a, a floater. He, he's just he's not super explosive. His first step isn't amazing. And he's got kind of a a high and not super tight dribble, which causes him to be sort of a heavy turnover player. Uh, 17.4% turnover rate, according to Ken Palm. 4.1 turnovers per 100 possessions. And a turnover rate of 19% in transition, too. But, you know, when he doesn't cough the ball up in transition, he's pretty good at finishing around the hoop. uh, 61% effective shooting in transition, too. I, I I think I do again he's still a guy that needs a screen to get open but i do have the feeling that getting out of the kentucky offense and getting into more of an nba look will probably help maybe could maybe help his his um just his overall efficiency too cuz i feel like a lot of these attempts are him curling into the paint for a two where in the nba that down screen might be a little bit further away from the hoop and might be trying to get him to curl around a pick and and shoot a three or whatever so, um, Knox is interesting. He's a guy that maybe even this time a year ago, people thought of as like a, a top five talent in the draft. So maybe there's a little value in that too. But, um, you know, look, he's got these guys that come out of Kentucky. None of them are perfect. And, um, you know, who knows how they, how well they translate to the NBA or whatever, after sort of 30, whatever games of Calipari rolling the ball out and saying, all right, guys, you know, do your best or whatever. So, um I'm not super high on him, but I think he's a guy that could easily fall in the Hornets range along with a guy like Michael Bridges and Miles Bridges too in that that like 10 to 12 range for Charlotte.
1: And hey, uh, you know, just look at these players that we've talked about, he he is definitely the youngest one, mm-hmm. you know, one of the younger freshmen in this draft class. Yeah. And you could look at that as as being a positive and having room to grow when he gets to the NBA level.
3: The only the only thing worrisome about that is too is you know, we just spent how many minutes earlier in this yeah. pot or in the podcast talking about the lack of player development when it comes to Malik Monk. So would you yeah. worry about a guy that's going to be 19 years old on the Hornets next season? Yep. I mean, totally different, totally different player. You know, you know, one guy doesn't make a rule, but maybe that is another smaller red flag too. Um, he's intriguing. I mean, you know, you, you look at
2: wings again in this draft, he's, he's, Physically, gifted-wise, length-wise, he's, he's probably at the top of the charts there. But athletically, you know, there's some question marks. Um, but good point, Richie. Yeah, he's the youngest guy. I'm, I'm looking now. Holy crap, the guy's really young. He's Jaron Jackson's barely younger than him. The Michigan yeah. State freak mm-hmm. forward. But pretty much, I mean, Kevin Knox is as young as they get in this draft. Um, all right, Colin Sexton. I want to talk about him for a minute. I really had not considered... Because Sexton's a point guard, right? 6'2", but he's built unlike many guys his age. Um, you know, Sexton's 19 years old, just turned 19 years old a few months ago. 6'2", point guard for Alabama. But he's he's almost like 190 pounds. Like, this guy's built. Like, he has an incredible body for a guy mm-hmm. who's only 6'2". And I know we have Kimball Walker there, but I just get intrigued by – Mm-hmm. The pot, you know, the, the prospects of a guy like Sexton and Kimba being able to play together. But not only that, just having a guy like that in your, you know, in your farm league, in your system, and being able to develop him. I mean, talk about a guy that can make an impact on both ends of the floor. Big time score. Um, great rebounding point guard. One of the best we've seen, I think, in the draft in a long time, just because of his girth and his body and his strength. Um, I love his game. Can he shoot? That's the big question. But Colin Sexton is a gamer to me. And I think he showed that for the most part against Villanova yesterday. I know that they got after Alabama and and blew them out. But Sexton was going toe to toe in the first half with pretty much Mm -hmm. Brunton. Anybody Villanova wanted to match up with him. And he gets wherever he wants to go on the floor just because of his strength. And because really no matter who's matched up on him, he he can get there because he's a great ball handler. And when he turns his back to the basket and, and you know, you could almost invert the offense with him because of his strength as a guard. You know, he gets to where he wants to go and his vision, I, I just I like everything that's kind of woven into him as a prospect.
1: Yeah, so do I. Like him as a prospect. Seems like he's also been upping his play a little bit more, especially as of late. Late in SEC play. He's been stepping it up, SEC tournament. You know, he had a game winner. You look at this guy and He has, you know, all the confidence, all the the moxie that we talk about that Monk had. You know, he has that swagger and air about him that, you know, not a lot of players have, and it's something that you can't really learn. And, you know, I like him as a prospect. Um, I think sometimes he the ball sticks in his hands too much. He's definitely not a shooter by any means. He's a scorer. He can go get you points. Uh, But he's definitely not a lights-out shooter that you're going to put behind the arc uh, and have him drain, you know, 40% of those shots again. But then, you know, Kimball Walker kind of went through that same path where he wasn't too great of a shooter from deep. But uh, as his NBA um, career progressed, he got better from out there. And kind of along the same points, you know, our best player is a point guard, Kimball Walker. And a lot of people subscribe to the philosophy of draft best player available. Is that always the case? You know, especially with this guy. Is this is this somebody if he's best player available at this point uh, at 10, 11, wherever we draft, do you draft this guy if you view him as the best player available? I don't know because he is also uh, at the same position as our best
3: player. So when how do you weigh that? Um I I mean I so I think it's A, it's an interesting question. B I think it's almost something that you take case by case, team by team. For a team and a franchise like the Hornets that has is sort of devoid of young talent at the moment, as we've discussed. I think you, you gotta take the best player available. Assuming you do your due you work them out, you interview them, you like what you see on the tape. Your area scouts are telling you, "Hey, this kid, he checks all the boxes." Whatever, then I think you do. I think other team, you know, if you're I think if you're – if you already sort of have your foundation, your base of players and they're not super old, they're they're young, they're on a good age curve, it's okay to to find a guy that's maybe going to fill a role where you say, hey, this guy's not the best player in the draft but he's seven feet tall and a shot blocker and we need that to round out the roster and we need it to be cheap or we need a shooter and where everyone's saying that this guy's going to translate to the pros as a shooter and we need a guy that can come off the bench and, and hit 40% of his threes or whatever – Then I think it's I don't think it I don't think it should be a blanket statement. You always take the best player available, but I think you should the vast majority of the time. And in the case with the Hornets right now, I think yeah you got to. Even if that logic maybe caused them to take Malik Monk over Donovan Mitchell last season, Um, which is, you know, if that's the case, that's unfortunate too. But yeah, I don't know. It's interesting to ponder, but I think overall. You, you gotta take you just gotta take the guy that's most talented and just hope it can work out or make sure that it works out with the right player development and coaching and stuff like that too. So, and certainly for the Hornets, yes, I think you gotta take best player available.
2: Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, and it can't be the opposite of that just because you don't have a great player development system right now, which I don't think the Hornets do as we stand here today, but, uh, you know, that can improve, but I agree. I mean, if you're a mid-major or small market, you know, in Charlotte's case and you've got a roster you're looking at and you're like, God almighty. I mean, I don't even know where to start (laughs) to try to be optimistic. I mean, you you have to be, you have to be open-minded about who you're drafting and why you're drafting them. And I think that means best player available. And not only that, but when you're constantly stuck in, drafting between 8 and 12 you know like you don't really have another choice yeah um you know it's not like you have we're gonna take a flyer on this i mean i guess you could take some flyer like sacramento did with you know uh, um well uh, not uh papa g yeah yeah papa g <laughs> i mean you know you could take like a flyer like that where like literally like fran for is like Fumbling through his draft notes because they're turned to him. They're like, What about this European guy? Like he just got drafted twelfth, but nobody knows anything about him. And he's like, Shit, like I didn't know this guy's gonna come up today. You know, like you could take a flyer like that, <laughs> or you can just take the best player available. Which I think the Hornets constantly have to do because they're always stuck in that middle ground. But uh mm-hmm. I think it's a great question, rashi
3: Um, all right. But a few more guys and then go r- ahead, bro. R- just real quickly on Sexton, two quick thoughts. Draws a ton of fouls. Uh, 252 free throw attempts this season, top 10 in the country. And not surprisingly, despite the fact that he played in an offense that <laughs> far from advanced down in out. L- I mean, you would think Avery Johnson, a former NBA player and coach, would be running something with a little more, uh, a little more, a little more creativity. But man, it, it really is just like, Colin Sexton fastballs down the middle of the play, you know, every time. Let's just see if we can we can just ram it at the opponent and see if something good comes out of it. But a good pick and roll player, um, 46 percent shooting out of the pick and roll this season, scored 180 points out of the pick and roll. Um, Both those numbers are like top 50 nationally. So Sexton, again, NBA is all about spread pick and roll. Put that guy with a, a better, more capable rim runner and a screen center, a la Cody Zeller and put him with some shooters, yeah, I think he could maybe be a pretty dynamic point guard in the NBA in an offense that has more shooting and more creativity and just better screeners and rollers and stuff like that too. So uh, Sexton's intriguing. I don't know if he'll be hanging around still when the Hornets pick at 10 or 11. And one other thought too, real quickly, I also think we're in an age with the NBA now where just positions matter less like I'm less worried about playing yeah. two point guards at the same time and this again that sort of feeds into my thought that most teams need to look best player available and just put your five best guys on the court and who gives a damn what the average height of the lineup is or whatever as long as you got guys that can defend and shoot and pass i mean who cares so that would be my thoughts on on Sexton
2: yeah and exactly that's what really got me thinking yesterday with Sexton it's like look like why can't him and Kimba play together in today's nba you know mm-hmm. like why not? Um, why can't him and Monk play together? So, uh, and to your point about how unimaginative um, Alabama's offense actually is, Sexton on the season, on the season, 33% usage rate, which is oh, just boy. insane. It's high. Like, that is just unbelievable. There's yeah. very little assists going on down in uh, down Tuscaloosa this
3: season, but, but a lot of talent, that's for sure. All Ooh. right. We also had these conversations a year ago about Dennis Smith Jr. and Kemba. You know what I mean? Could these guys coexist or whatever and, again, take the best player available in Charlotte?
2: All right, let's see. Who else do I want to talk about? I want two more guys. They both are at the same school right now. Brian and I both talked about them extensively in our Sports Channel 8 piece, um, which you can read. Go to sportschannel8.com. We break down the top eight ACC NBA prospects for this year, Let's start with Marvin Bagley. Um, Brian, let's just throw it to you first because I have some thoughts on Bagley that will probably mm-hmm. be unpopular. So I want you to like make sense before I just spend a bunch of garbage of why I'm worried about him as a prospect.
3: So uh, I, in general, I think we're actually at a pretty interesting point in the evaluation of Marvin Bagley. Um, look, he's certainly not a not a, a spotless prospect. There's a lot to like with him. He's an amazingly gifted. Inside score, despite the fact that he doesn't have a right hand, which is certainly part of the problems with Marvin Bagley. He's shown a little bit of ability to step away and, and take shots. And I, I don't dislike his his stroke. I think it's I think it's totally fine. Maybe it's not a work of art, but I think it's good enough to get the job done. I just think we're at an interesting point in the Marvin Bagley curve where you know, even recently, people are, and it might be true, like, look, Wendell Carter might be a better NBA player than Marvin Bagley. It just is sort of funny that we've gotten to this point where we've been literally evaluating every single dribble of the basketball he's had this year because he came in as the top amateur prospect in the United States. And it's almost just like we can't we almost can't even evaluate this guy with a clear head sometimes because we're just almost in too deep now. Um, I, I don't know if that's true or not. On, on what he does well, he's amazing around the basket, and he's a really, really good offensive rebounder. Uh, shot 73% on non-post up attempts, almost 1.5 points per possession. It's not too far behind what Anthony Davis did his one season at Kentucky. I, I don't that comparison's a little trite. He's not Anthony Davis. Let's let's be real here, but um, he doesn't really have a right he doesn't really have a right hand at all to say the least. I and mean, he always has to get back to that left hand. He's not a super uh, – I don't think he's like a – I don't think he's a selfish player. That's not the right way to put it, but he's not like a passer creator. He's a little bit of a black hole, and you can tell when Duke wants to run handoff actions and stuff like that with their bigs, they almost exclusively use Wendell Carter as as the guy to do that. So, um, yeah, it's it's interesting where we're at with Bagley because he's he's a really intriguing prospect, but it feels like he's been usurped by Jackson at Michigan State. And uh, you know, maybe some of the you know, DeAndre Ayton at Arizona, some of these other guys have sort of like gotten a leg up with him in terms of the and you know, maybe some people even think Mo Bamba's better than him too. But I think I think Bagley's a very interesting prospect. I think I'm a little more bullish on him than most of the uh like draft Knicks out there though. I think uh, you are too. Yeah. I am. I know <laughs> I am.
2: <laughs> no, I I I all your points are perfect i mean and yeah. i think you paint a great picture to why he could be a good prospect i i, I just he's he's a high usage guy that doesn't have a whole lot of uh he has a lot of skills but he just like the whole the whole left hand thing is super worrisome to me mm-hmm. the whole the fact that he can't you know, we're not sure if he can shoot or not is worrisome to me maybe he can you know, maybe he gets to the NBA. All of a sudden, he's a freaking forty percent, you know, three point shooter. Like we yeah. see that stuff all the time. It's hard to predict. Um, stroke's not broken, but it's not great. And I don't know the the Michael Beasley. I heard the co- Michael Beasley comparison probably a month ago, yeah. and now I watch this guy play, and I can't unsee it. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, it's just there's so many similarities and he's the pro the thing that bothers me the most is how high usage he is Mm
3: -hmm. and how
2: he is always hunting for his it seems like and and that's fine like he's a young guy um he can certainly develop in that area i mean look bagley's he's just turned 19 like literally just turned i think yesterday literally he turned 19
1: Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken. he did. He did. I was at his birthday party. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> it better not have been his surprise birthday party, Richie.
1: Nah. <laughs> but uh, you know,
2: he's, he's just turned 19. He can develop in that area. But yeah, he's high usage and he's just not skilled enough to me or efficient enough to me to feel good about it. Uh, yeah. I just, I don't know. If you're taking him in the top three, I would worry. If you're taking him. Between six and 12, I think that's totally justified. But, you know, to your point, Brian, we've dissected this kid all the way down to like where did he receive his first dollar from when he was in (laughs) high school from Nike, right? Right. You know, which is a real thing. That's something his dad needs to seriously worry about because that's coming. Um, That guy was paid when he was in high school and he's part of this. No, I mean, he was. I mean, seriously, it's, it's pretty much out there now. The Oregonian came out with a, an article yesterday. If you haven't seen it yet, go read it. It's super detailed, and it's super bothersome about what went on with him in high school. But, you know, you just – I don't know. I, I, I don't trust him as an NBA player long term. But all
3: the points you make are good, Brian. Brian, one more thing? Just, just you know, I've covered him – I've seen him play live a lot this year. Uh, I was at almost every Duke game – and uh, saw him up, play up in Brooklyn, too, and he was, he was flat-out dominant at times. It is still interesting to note, you know, I don't know what position he is in the NBA. Uh, if he is a 4 or 5, um, he doesn't really protect the rim well enough to be a 5, in my opinion. And that's sort of a, you know, a hole in his game, and that's why the three-point shot becomes so crucial to him. I think he can be a, a a good starting four in the NBA, and I think he has the length and athleticism to maybe be able to switch and defend. I mean, we haven't seen that yet this year, but I think there are major holes with him on the concerns with him on the defensive end. I'll be curious to see what he measures at if he does measure at the combine and that three point. I mean, these are all these are sort of the big question marks with him. Um, but yeah, he has been flat out dominant at the hoop. Um, uh, offensively this season. But we'll see how that translates in the NBA. Well,
2: And the last thing I want to say on back is just like, again, Brian's way more prepared with all this stuff and he like has all his points laid out. I, I don't as much. I go more off eye mm-hmm. test. But he looks like a guy to me who has been so physically gifted for so mm-hmm. long and has lived off of this. I'm just so much more athletic and long and I, I, everything. I, I'm more... I'm more than you are from an athletic standpoint than you can possibly imagine. And he's been that for his entire basketball career. But where you can see the negatives of that is in the whole left hand. You know, Mm -hmm. the fact that he goes to the same move every single time on the floor, you know, the fact that a lot of his points come off of his second jump and offensive rebounds, like Mm -hmm. all this stuff is not going to translate, you know, as easily as it has to this point in his basketball life. And He just doesn't look like, from a fundamental standpoint, like getting in the gym, working on his game, like developing. He doesn't look like a guy who's really gone far in that Mm -hmm. area. Not Mm -hmm. that he's not interested in it. It just Mm -hmm. doesn't look like he has done it a lot. You know, you can see it. It, it, That's that's what worries me. And the guy we're about to talk about in a minute, Wendell Carter, is the antithesis of that. Mm -hmm. You know, he's super polished. He has both hands. I mean... You know he's he's nowhere close to as gifted as a guy like Marvin Bagley is, but he's put in the work.
1: Mm-hmm. That's
2: just my worry with Bagley is he hadn't put in the work, and he's going to get into the league where everybody's just as athletic as him or close to it at the very least, and it's going to be too late. And we kind of saw that with Michael Beasley, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and and uh, that's that's just my worry with Bagley. But he is an incredible athlete. You talk about 6'11", mm-hmm. 220 pounds, like. His second jump and how quickly he gets off the floor. I mean, I said this in, in our piece on Sports Channel 8, Brian. I've never seen a guy get off the it's floor. Rid- it's ridiculous. As gracefully. It's ridiculous. And his second jump is just like something out. It's it's mm-hmm. like watching. It's not a human. It's like watching anything yeah. jump. You know, like
3: he, he's so his pogo sticks. His legs is crazy. The, there are some possessions in, where my spot is along at Duke when I cover Blue Devil games is it's on press row, It's right there on um, some of those possessions at the goal that's in front of the visiting team's bench. I mean, it's like, right. there. It's like, like you could swing the ball to me and I could hit a spot up three. This look is right there. And some of the, some of these plays you see back. I mean, he's just, he's up in the air for a second time when the other, when the other player is just on the ground still, you know, yeah. it's just, it's ridiculous how quickly he hits and gets, it just explodes back up. Um, and I know that again, there have been some concerns about people that I think some that don't think his wingspan will or measure out that well, but I, I think he's got I think I think it's gonna I think he's got a wingspan that is going to be a, an advantage for him in the NBA. I think he's he just looks he looks long, his arms look comically long at times. And I've been fortunate in the last couple of years covering Duke to see some of these just one and done studs up close Parker, Tatum, Okafor, Giles whatever and i mean he's been at the hoop as impressive of as any like playing around the rim he's been you know as impressive as any of those guys have been really the comparisons there are you know it's not not tatum so much it's more parker and okafor and stuff like that but he he's a special player around the hoop i wonder if his floor is more ed davis than it is um like Michael Beasley, like if, if we get to the point where Marvin Bagley is not going to be a superstar player in the NBA, maybe he doesn't have the motor to be a a rebound guy off the bench, but like he could be just an incredible offensive rebound player. If he develops no other discernible basketball skills in the NBA.
2: Well, and that's, that's one of the reasons I'm so frightened by him is that he's so much more athletic Mm -hmm. and mobile than a guy like Davis. For example, which I think is probably like when you look at them on a height scale and a weight scale, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, Ed Davis, same body, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's an easier comparison to make, but like I just, he's so athletic and so much more skilled than a guy like Davis. Like I think the variance between what he could be and what he might actually be might mean like Anthony Bennett level. Yeah.
3: Butt. You see what I'm trying to say? No, totally. No, I I get you. And that's terrifying. Like that, that's terrifying. That's That's absolutely that's
2: really where I struggle to evaluate him as a prospect. And then you look at this, and then we gotta go on to Wendell. Is he I mean he ended up shooting or so far this season is thirty eight point six percent from behind the arc. Like not a huge sample size, but Mm -hmm. hell, that's not a bad number at all. Yeah. And then The free throw line, a very high number. I mean, he attempted 6.2 free throws a game, you know, barely 62%. So there's just, it's just really, really hard for me to put, to develop thoughts that make sense and put them on a piece of paper with this guy. And it doesn't mean that he's a bad pick if somebody takes him in the top five. It's not what it means. He could end up being great.
3: I just,
2: he just seems to me like he has a long way to go. And that's just just me.
3: It may depend on what's it like. This is one of those guys too, where it might depend on what situation he ends up in as a rookie. Now that's not like fair to Marvin Bagley, but like, can you imagine if this guy ended up going to Phoenix? Like, what a disaster that would be. Him, pl- I mean, playing for that ragtag group in the desert, like that. That's like that would be a bad look. He gets into say, the Atlanta Hawks is a little bit better about hey, they've got a culture, they've got a system in place. They're they're a good coach. Um, there's some structure here. You go to you go play for the Suns, man. I would be. Uh, again, it's Mark
2: it's Marcus Chris all over again.
3: Yeah, totally. Like that's that's I think that's the easy comparison. You know what I mean? Based off, Jason Tatum ends up with the Celtics as a rookie, and look what he's doing this year. Donovan Mitchell ends up in Utah, where they have a culture and they have a system and a good coach in place too. And look how freaking good he's become. Um. So yeah, I mean, sometimes it mat. not not just sometimes. Probably every time it matters where these guys end up. And some situations are way worse than others are way better, you know, which I think adds to the variance of a prospect like Bagley.
2: All right. Let's, um, that was good. That was really good. Let's talk about the last guy we're going to talk about and then we got to go. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a long time. Yeah. Um, it's been fun though. Um, yeah. All right. Window Carter, also a Duke, front court. Um, counterpart to Marvin Bagley, totally different prospect. 6'10", actually a little bit, a little bit shorter, um, way heavier. Um, he's mm. more like, what, what is it? 250? Is that about right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. And, um, super skilled. Very, very skilled prospect. Can use both hands. Can step out and hit the three-pointer. Shot above 35%. Way above that, actually. Um, from behind the arc this season in conference play. um, Great rebounder, good defender, just kind of what Richie said earlier, and I can't remember which guy we were talking about. It Hale we were talking about. It's hard to find holes in this game. Mm-hmm. That's kind of Wendell. Like you, you watch him play and you break down film, and you're like, guys, guy's kind of good at everything.
3: Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and he's
2: and he's bought in, and you know the way he plays defensively is just so out of character for a team like Duke because they don't have a whole lot of guys that really buy on that end. Buy in on that end, but he he really does and I just love watching him play his ceilings not real high You know, I think he's like Derek favors. Yeah uh, with a three-point shot, Mm -hmm. but man. Oh, man Just talk about a guy who's gonna take coaching. Well, who's gonna come in and work hard who's gonna be great for your system? I think he would be a like dynamite fit for Charlotte because Mm -hmm. he's not gonna come in and be flat you know, he's not gonna come in and be flustered by the losing environment and not going to be flustered by maybe the lack of everything we've talked about in this episode so far. He's going to come in and do his job, right? And and he's going to play hard. And I think this is the kind of player Charlotte really needs to look at, especially if Dwight Howard's not here next season, which we should all pray for. But, you know, if he's (laughs) – if he's not, if you got Cody and you got Willie Hernan Gomez, and then you have a guy like Wendell, you know, on the back developing. I think it's a great situation for the Hornets.
3: Yeah, um, I'll I'll go ahead and jump in real quickly. I, I love Wendell Carter. Um, he, he was I don't know if he was my favorite guy to cover in the ACC this year, but he was certainly right at the top, and it was fun to see him improve as the year went along. Um, he started experimenting with that left hand more. He started shooting threes a little more comfortably. And his passing just really took off. Good high low passer. A lot of those, a lot of those high percentage looks, Bagley gets at the hoop. Not the majority of them, but on, on definitely on a decent percentage of them, Wendell Carter's the guy throwing that touch pass right over the top perfectly to Bagley. Um, he's fluid. Like he there are some possessions. He even had one possession against um against Seton Hall over the weekend where he caught the ball on the wing crossed left, took a couple dribbles, and then hit Bagley at the rim. And it was like, oh my oh my god, Like yeah. you look like a guard <laughs> yeah. on that play. Exactly. And in the game I covered against Louisville a few weeks ago, I mean, his, he had six assists in this game. He could have had a few more if guys had hit shots. And just the passes he hit, they weren't just like, oh, here, take a handoff from me, and then you make a 23-footer, and that counts as an assist for me. I mean, there was one possession he short-rolled to the hoop, Hit hit Marquis Bolden over the top for an easy slam. Another possession where Louisville iced a Grayson Allen pick and roll. He slips to the like he understands like, hey, when there's a side pick and roll, they ice it. I float to the middle. Now all of a sudden, I can either catch and shoot from here, or I can put it on the court a couple times. I'm look. He already knows. Hey, look weak side. Look for that corner shooter. Yep. And next year in the NBA, that's gonna be a guy, that's gonna be, you know, that's Jared Dudley. You're going to, yeah,
2: yeah. That's totally. the it's,
3: you're gonna play in. Yep. It's it's not gonna be it's not gonna be Jack White from Duke. You know, it's gonna be a guy that makes that <laughs> shot 50% of the time. Um and just the fact that he's experimenting with the left hand, it's almost for me, it's almost like him showing, like, hey, look, I know people are talking about the fact that Bagley can't use his right hand. Well, watch us play and watch me go with this left-handed hook shot or watch me spin and finish like the up and under he had against Seton Hall. I mean, I know he's not paying against guys that are the same length and athleticism as you're going to see in the NBA amongst the Seton Hall roster. But that up and under move he had finishing left, I mean, that's an NBA move. And again, early in the season, he needed a lot of room to to take a three. And now I think towards the end of the season, he's a little more comfortable. Like he'll shoot a trailing three on a break, secondary break action. Bagley runs the Bagley runs the post, runs the pipe. Carter trails and he'll step into a three and take, shoot it with some confidence. And he's just, he's a very impressive player. I think if you get him at 10, it's a freaking steal. I think he's going to play himself to six, seven or eight. It seems like in the draft, because he's, he's just going to be a stud for them in March. And I think once you get him into workouts and stuff like that, he'll, he'll light up even more and not afraid. I mean, he Duke had only one block in the game against Seton hall yesterday. It was Wendell Carter. And he's not super long, but he's not afraid to try to protect the rim, which is like half the battle. He's like, I'm 6'10", 260. Let me at least, if I try to block the shot, that's almost enough to deter or force a miss. He's not afraid of ending up on a poster. Um, And I got to think him going up against Marvin Bagley in practice every day for the last five months has probably been a good thing for him, too. I mean, what better exposure to have? going against NBA talent and practicing against Marvin Bleep and Bagley every single day in Durham. That's, so, such, a good, that's such a good point. I just think – I think, and that's probably helped – I would imagine on the flip, it's probably helped Bagley to have to go against Wendell Carter every day in practice too. I just think he's a smart player, unselfish. And I think too – and I'm basing this off literally nothing other than the fact that I think he's a hard worker. I think he's going to lose a little um, – I think he's gonna lose a little like I think he's gonna get in better shape. And I think he has the ability to become more explosive too, once he gets to the NBA. By the way, um, as far as we know, <laughs> the last time he
2: measured <laughs> seven three wingspan. Um, yeah. You know, where whereas uh whereas your boy Bagley, uh seven one uh, you know, we'll we'll see what it comes out mm-hmm. to in, in the combine. Richie, were you gonna say something here? I know okay. you're
1: Hey, were you just point to get your watch You're like guys have a life after like yeah you know? <laughs> no I'm good I'm good not I mean on Wendell carter uh, I the more and more brian talks about him the more and more attention that I have kind of spent watching him play and again he's one of those players like you look up and down you don't see many holes in his game he's definitely to me the safer pick when it comes to Bagley or carter I know that Bagley has that mm-hmm. high upside high risk high reward type of player that you know, could break onto the scene in the NBA. But Wendell Carter, to me, just seems like he checks all the boxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can shoot the ball well. Uh, he can play both sides of the ball. Just seems like a safer pick. And if I was in a position to pick either of mm-hmm. these two players, I would go Carter.
2: I I agree. I do. I, I mean, I really think that Wendell Carter is a safer pick. I just think the Hornets are in a situation where, you know, they couldn't possibly take the chance on a guy like Bagley. But, you know, that they, they probably won't have that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they won't have that option. By the way, um, Carter. Very low sample size. One point two attempts per game from behind the arc, but on the season, forty-four percent from behind yeah. the arc. So and, and seventy-three, well, almost seventy-four percent from the foul line. So his
3: his his catch and shoot numbers are really good. Like really good. And I that's think all for, he's
2: gonna have to do. He's only totally. gonna have to catch and shoot it. He'll never have to shoot off the dribble,
3: right? So of course, of course. And I be- I believe I, I would need to double check this, but an effective rate on catch and shoots above 70%. I mean, he's again, small sample, but those numbers are encouraging. And his, and his stroke looks good. Like the right elbow is perfectly positioned
2: parallel to the floor, left hand, you know, sets the ball up. Like it, it it looks like a big man stroke in the terms of like, it's a little bit mechanical, but fundamentally it's perfect for a guy of his size. Um, And he leans a little bit back on the release. You know, he doesn't get a whole lot of lift, but he doesn't need to because he's six ten. I, I I don't know. I I just, I'm really high on this guy. You give it to him at the elbow. He has the quickness to go by somebody. To your Hmm. point, Brian. You know, if he, you know, he shaves ten pounds, all of a sudden, like, holy crap! Is this now? Are we dealing with like an athletic freak that we didn't
3: never got to see? Is he Blake Griffin? You know what I mean? Is he Blake Griffin? You know? Yeah,
2: or is he more like a carl anthony towns
3: right Mm -hmm. because we never
2: saw that from cat at kentucky Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden he gets to the nba like holy crap this guy can do so much Mm -hmm. like is he that athletic that's the kind of stuff that you don't know as an nba team until you get that guy in for workouts and make him do certain things but i don't know man i just think wendell carter ultimately if i'm seeing the things the way that i i think that (laughs) teams should see it he's like a top five pick. I mean, I think he's that high of a prospect, but we'll, we'll see how it plays out. If I agree mm-hmm. with you, Brian, if he falls to 10, I mean, that is just a steal. What a dream for Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think we've talked about everything. Everybody we too need long. To- yeah. <laughs> Anybody else? Um, Richie. Yeah. We can have this be a, an hour and 45 podcast. I mean, I, I don't care, but, but I was just saying, you know, maybe, maybe we'll make this part two. <laughs> So I just wanted us to keep going cuz we had a good yeah. role there with the prospects and I know we'll do a lot more coverage um you know as the draft comes around in June and look let's not kid around it's our favorite time of year. And and look, Richie is still growing. You know, don't let him like sit back and say nothing and tease <laughs> you guys. This guy's like text me every day be like, "Well, can we talk about uh can we talk about window car? Can we talk about <laughs> yeah, So he's yeah. ready. Stop it. He's him. ready.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, ready He's getting better every single day all right we yeah. got to get out of here um, don't forget we are a proud member of the Almighty baller radio network check out almightyballer.com for tons of other great content draft every team you want fantasy basketball you name it they got it over there and then sports channel 8 of course our good friends Brian guy singers home sports channel 8.com shout out to Hayes Permar and all the great work they did uh, up in Brooklyn at the ACC tournament the other weekend.
3: And thank you, Brian, again for having me on to do that. Uh, that draft yeah, prospect. That was fun. Yeah. We'll do. We'll do more of that. You know, uh, certainly with with both you guys at you know Queen City and I'm sure and talking about it on the pod here. But yeah, good to, good to get that out leading into the first week of the tournament. No doubt.
2: Uh, don't forget queencityhoops.com. It is BuzzBeat Radio's home, official home on top of Almighty Baller. So uh, check us out at Uh We will have again a lot of draft heavy coverage coming here in the next few months uh all right until next time next week hopefully um i am spencer that is richie that is brian um go go hornets yeah sure go hornets but let's get draft (laughs) season going all right see you guys soon
0: this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently